Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Morgan, host of the 2023 Alzheimer's World Summit. And it's my great pleasure to have with me today, Dr. Miles Nichols, who's a functional medicine doctor. He specializes in Lyme disease, uh, mold illness, gut, thyroid, and autoimmunity. And after Dr. Miles personally struggled with chronic fatigue in his early 20s, he dedicated himself to figure out the root causes. And he suffered with and recovered from thyroid dysfunction, autoimmunity, and gut infection, uh, Lyme co-infections, and mold illness. So he knows whereof he speaks. And uh, Dr. Miles has authored two books. He founded the Medicine with Heart Functional Medicine Clinic in Colorado, as well as Medicine with Heart Institute that trains other doctors in functional medicine. Uh, Miles, a, a pleasure to have you with us here today. Welcome. Pleasure to be here, Michael. Looking forward to it. So I wondered, you know, in your intro, you, you spoke a bit about your uh, background in this, kind of like what led you into this area of inquiry. Was it your own kind of personal experience that kind of allowed you to delve into that? Yeah, a combination of factors growing up. My father was a medical doctor interested in public health, founded a rural health office that got mobile clinics out to areas that didn't get good access to health care and became a state legislator and then a state senator, really kind man on a mission doing amazing work in the world. And when I was 15, I was babysitting for a friend of my sister's and got a call. It was someone from my family's church and my father had passed on suddenly and unexpectedly. And he had top-notch medical training from Stanford, master's in public health from Harvard. And I started to wonder, is there something else going on here? Yeah, yeah. How, how could this have happened? How could we not have seen it coming? Isn't there something more, especially in relation to these chronic degenerative diseases that aren't always felt in so, some people and are, are sometimes felt in others? And yeah. Fast forward to my early 20s, I was struggling with chronic fatigue, brain fog, migraine headaches, hard time getting out of bed in the morning, got bad enough that I got called into the principal's office. Valerie said, you're doing great academically, you're going to be a great practitioner if you can get through school, but your yeah. attendance policy is what it is and you need to figure that out. And I said, I think something is wrong because I'm having a hard time getting out of bed. I try a lot of things. And she said, well, it's probably something medical. And I said, well, I went to the doctor. They said nothing was wrong. So long story short, I decided and dedicated myself to, I'm going to figure this out. And it was a long journey of uncovering things like functional ranges, realizing there was a thyroid issue that I had, having some research connecting thyroid to antibodies in the gut leading to me investigating my own gut health, leading to me realizing and recognizing that my brain fog was going away from dealing with things in my gut, and then starting to see connections that I hadn't seen before, went through recognition that I had multiple chronic infections, Babesia, Bartonella, Lyme, and was exposed to mold. And all of that opened the floodgates for when I started my practice for people to start to, of course, come in who were like me. Yeah. And I really started to understand that while people were coming in for infections, toxins, gut, thyroid, autoimmune issues, we were seeing significant brain changes. And then my mom's brother had Alzheimer's and I saw that decline. 
and really became interested in where's cognitive decline, mental health, and brain function overlap with these infections, these toxins, this yeah. gut function that I've been treating for so long in the clinic. And I started to realize there's a lot of research there and a lot of things happening clinically in that area. Well, that's a lot. I mean, it's so personal and and kind of gut level, no pun intended. You know, it's like with me with Alzheimer's, my family was affected, in-laws that get Alzheimer's. You think, well, what else can we do? And then with you and your dad, all of that, and then you personally, that's a lot to give you an incentive. So boy, I'll tell you, that's like being served the incentive right on your doorstep, so to speak. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that. And uh, we, we had spoken a little bit before this about, you know, mental health and memory. And you said something about there's a standard way that people looked at it neuronically, uh, neuronally, and then there's kind of another way of looking. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So there are lots of ways in which you can look at cognitive function. You can look at brain function, brain decline. You can look at the ways in which we look at lab work. And there's a lot of evidence and a lot of people, I think, understand some things like blood sugar as a relationship to brain function. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now we're seeing this, this diabetes type three and insulin resistance in the brain. And I think that's becoming clear. And of course, that's tied into metabolic health and gut health. But what's less clear and newer in research is testing antibodies against the brain. The immune system actually can attack the brain tissue structure, there can be antibodies against, for example, anti-amyloid beta antibodies, which would suggest that the immune system is attacking amyloid beta. And that might be a sign that there could be an Alzheimer's progression having begun, or the immune system may be attacking dopamine receptor one. And we see onset of neuropsychiatric issues after dopamine receptor one is under attack associated with higher levels of those antibodies. So one perspective is what we call a post-infectious encephalopathy, where encephalopathy means structure changes to the brain or function changes to the brain. So it's a general term, but sometimes that happens post-infection. Sometimes that happens related to blood sugar and metabolic dysfunction, sometimes gut dysfunction, sometimes toxin exposure. And one interesting way that I found clinically to take a look at this is by looking at, are there antibodies against brain? Not the only way that some of these tissue structures and function break down, but brain autoimmunity is actually significant. And that is part of how we see the breakdown of function in the brain, including the blood brain barrier, including structures in the brain that produce neurotransmitters like dopamine and many other parts of how the brain functions, how the immune function in the brain, and even antibodies against microglia, if there's microglial activation. So we can see a lot happening by looking at antibodies against the brain. And this is an area, um, Dr. Nichols, that is of particular interest to me because my mentor, Dr. Upledger, an osteopath years ago, was looking at the idea that crossing the blood-brain barrier immune system factors can create their own tertiary um, infection and inflammation. And at a certain point, he kind of said, it looks like 
almost like Alzheimer's as it as it increases, almost looks like an autoimmune disease. So when we spoke about that and you said there's actually antibodies in the brain, I'd never quite heard that. So that's fascinating to me that you're saying one area of the brain can kind of look like that and aggravate the immune system and cause more problems. So do you have anything else to say about that? I'm just curious how you kind of looked at that and found it and, and saw that as a factor as well. Yeah, I was really trying to find ways to monitor the progress of the neuropsychiatric symptoms of so many patients who are struggling with Lyme and mold illnesses, how it started, because it's hard to retest some things, especially for Lyme and co-infections. Yeah. Once you develop antibodies against the infection, you might keep those antibodies. The immune system might remember that infection. That might even be a good thing for the immune system to maintain antibodies. Very hard to test directly for DNA of the Lyme organism in the blood. It can actually go into the cerebrospinal fluid. It can go into deeper tissue in the body. So what that means is that it's very hard sometimes to accurately with lab data track the progress. And so many of my patients were having these neuropsychiatric symptoms, depression, and cognitive decline symptoms, and brain changes, and memory issues, and anxiety. And so I wanted to try to find out how to track some of the progress there on the brain function in particular, because that is one of the big symptom presentations together, of course, with fatigue and neuropathy, which are brain related as well in many cases. And that led me to see that, oh, wow, there is some research that show these post-infection. It, it actually started back in looking at children and strep infections. So mm -hmm. in, in children, strep infections, there are many children who actually have significant behavior changes. They become different personality becomes different. They start to have behavioral problems, mood problems, and get psychiatric diagnoses sometimes after getting strep throat. And what it became clear in research is, as one of the first connections here, is that strep as a bacteria can cross the blood-brain barrier or can trigger the immune system to attack antibody to create antibodies and to attack brain tissue. And that was the beginning of looking at dopamine receptor one, looking at tubulin antibodies, looking at, there are a few other antibodies that started to get looked at and discovered that, oh, those who did get a strep infection and had personality or mood or brain changes often have these antibody elevations. And as their brain gets better, the antibodies go down. So that was the beginning of this research. It created a diagnosis called PANDAS, a pediatric autoimmune, mm -hmm. acute onset autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder caused by strep. It's a mouthful, but it's, yeah. it's later realized in research that not just strep, actually, that Epstein-Barr virus can trigger encephalopathy and these autoantibodies, so can Lyme. So can Bartonella, so can toxins from mold. So several things, some strains of influenza, some other viral infections can trigger this. So then it started a body of research looking at pediatric acute onset autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder, drop the strep part. Now, 
It's just looking at this after infection, an autoimmune response that can lead to brain changes. And there's still pediatric in the name. I don't like that because yeah. it doesn't just happen for children. This happens right. in adulthood. These exposures occur. So if we were to drop that, we could just explain it very simply as after an infection or an exposure to toxins, sometimes the body is trying to get an infection. And it just so happens that some infections and some toxins may look a lot like brain tissue. The immune system is trying to get rid of these toxin byproducts of infections or toxins and inadvertently starts to attack tissue in the brain that's important for how the brain functions and operates. And that's a, a nice way to look at it. You know, osteopathy, we call it kind of like a lesional chain that you have an infection and then post-infection, you have these autoantibodies, if I'm understanding that correctly. So the brain or the immune system is well-meaning, but it creates a lot of deleterious side effects, including destroying brain tissue which is not a great thing. I think that's a fascinating way to look at it, which tracks with Dr. O, what Dr. Opleger was saying like 30 years ago, when there yeah. was less science to even support this. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because this is an area we talk about too, is microglia you mentioned. Like, can you explain what they are and what function do they play in the brain? Yeah, so part of the inflammatory process in the brain, if we're going to break that down into a sequence or chain of events is that, for example, if we have systemic inflammation in the body, I'm going to use a gut example here. So let's imagine that someone's had a poor diet or a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or some kind of gut infection or some kind of problem in the bacteria in the gut. And that's led to leaky gut or intestinal permeability. Right. Then a lot of bacteria that live in the gut all of a sudden can get out of the gut and into the bloodstream after meals. And we'll see this as elevations on blood testing in something called lipopolysaccharide or LPS antibodies. So lipopolysaccharide or LPS is in the cell wall of gram-negative bacteria and it's toxic to the body. We know this because there are studies that inject dead E. coli into the bloodstream, and we see this severe and significant response from the body trying to get rid of the LPS on the cell wall, and people get miserably headachy and flu-like symptoms and start to feel nauseous and really bad when that dead E. coli goes into the bloodstream because of that LPS. Yeah. When LPS has that effect, it's an inflammatory effect. So also there have been a lot of measures when you inject dead E. coli on the inflammatory markers or cytokine proteins. These cytokine proteins are things like interleukins, interleukin-6, interleukin-2, TNF-alpha are some markers that we can measure on blood that are some of these inflammatory markers. Mm -hmm. These inflammatory markers aren't just causing inflammation in the body independent of the brain. Many times when we see systemic inflammation from elevations in these 
cytokines, they actually start to go into the brain. And that does get impacted by the blood-brain barrier. Sometimes the same protein zonulin that's involved in leaky gut can be involved in also a leaky blood-brain barrier. With that leaky blood-brain barrier, sometimes we'll actually see that these inflammatory proteins are getting into the brain. Now the brain has to mobilize an immune response because there's now neuroinflammation in the brain, and the brain is trying to get rid of these inflammatory cytokines there. And the immune response utilizes macrophages as part of how it goes to try to take care of either infections or sometimes uh, confuses other things like inflammatory cytokines and is really looking to take care of what's going on in the brain in that inflammatory process. But in that process, those macrophages can become microglia and those microglia can become activated and it furthers this inflammatory response in the brain that we call a neuroinflammatory response. And that neuroinflammatory response in the brain and this microglial activation have been shown to be something that if we look at an autoantibody against brain tissue, we might actually see antibodies against microglia when this activation is occurring significantly. Uh, uh. And we might also see onset of brain function changes, mood changes, memory changes, lots of things associated with this neuroinflammation, including memory and cognitive decline and processes like Alzheimer's and dementia. And it's such a nice, what you just pointed out is such a nice progression to explain how all of this occurs ultimately in the neuroinflammation. What I find really curious, which I did not know, is that even in the microglia that are embedded in the brain to help to, to defend against this kind of thing, there might be antibodies against them because they're causing a problem. So it gets piled high and deeper. That's yeah, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, so that, and, and the, the brain is, is intelligent enough to know how to respond, but it creates this cascading effect. And, and what I find interesting is an aside, you know, because our focus has been Alzheimer's dementia, but when you look at all these neural problems that can be issues that we associate, quote unquote, with mental illness, it's not just Alzheimer's dementia, but it can be uh, these other areas as well that cause other mental aberrations, right? Yeah, and then so, can you add yeah. one more piece to the puzzle? Can you explain how this affects memory? Yeah. Yeah, well, first, I just want to say that if we do have antimicroglia antibodies, that is a sign of the blood-brain barrier disruption because right. that's where the proteins, we believe, are getting into the brain, activating and triggering this immune response leading to the microglia. So I want to add that aside of yeah. that blood-brain barrier disruption becomes a part of it. But yes, we, we can really see that different parts of the brain function, some related to mood, some related to memory, some related to the ability to have executive function and think clearly, the ability for word recall, the ability for speech. And there's a lot of interconnectedness. And we know that different disease processes affect different of these areas more or less. But if we're looking at from a root cause perspective, just like if we're looking from a root cause perspective at a symptom in the body, like a thyroid problem, mm -hmm. many times we actually see that, well, one, 
there actually is research for Hashimoto's thyroiditis being associated with encephalopathy and brain change. So we see that, but we also see that that viral infections and gut issues are linked in research with thyroid antibodies. And if you clear, for example, an H. pylori infection in the stomach, the thyroid antibodies lower. And that might seem strange at first until you start to recognize that there are these interconnected systems in the body. And same with the brain, where when we're, and we'll see mood imbalances go together with cognitive decline in Alzheimer's a lot of times. But even if we don't, even if all we see are anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. that's actually still a symptom and a sign that a neuroinflammatory process has begun. And that neuroinflammatory process could lead to other changes in other parts of the brain later. And that could contribute to something like memory decline, cognitive decline. So if there's a symptom of the brain, be it a mood symptom or a symptom for memory or for cognitive decline, brain fog, neuropathy, chronic fatigue, any of these are signs that a process of neuroinflammation may have begun. And that process could affect other parts of the brain. And it may be a good idea to see if there can be some work on that. Um, one other bonus question I wanted to ask you, because we're so much on the same page, is that there's been some recent research by University of Rochester the last few months, and they have located an area in the subarachnoid space that's called the SLYM, subarachnoid-like membrane area, and it seems to have something to do with mediation of immune system factors. I just wondered if you were aware of that and you had any thoughts about that as well. No, I haven't looked into that. I'd like to take a look at that because I do think that immunomodulation and immune dysregulation are underpinning a lot of this because when we're trying to, when we think, oh, infections and and toxic byproduct, well, the immune system not only takes care of tech of infections, but it it helps get rid of toxic byproducts as well. And so the immune system is pivotal in this process. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll I'll share a little bit more about that afterwards, but it's like, it's fascinating that that may be a mediator of this as well, dealing with that immune system balance. Um, One thing you also mentioned, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but you have an interest in brain health and longevity. Can you say a little bit about what's your project or interest is on that? Yeah, brain aging fascinates me. And I really, I enjoy looking at health optimization, not just getting to a certain degree of feeling like symptoms have gone away. So for myself personally, and in the clinic, I do a lot with people who say, hey, I want to function as best as I possibly can. And especially people like entrepreneurs or performers, or it, it actually, it goes back for me emotionally to my father. And he was yeah. at the pinnacle of his career. And, it, and, and well, I didn't see a lot of brain symptoms in him specifically. I know that at that level of performance, that it, a 1% change can go a long way. And the way the brain yeah. ages is that we see this deterioration occur in the protein structure, in the gray matter. And we also see that damage occurs that's subtle. So for example, a functional MRI 
of the brain if put through. And now we're getting to software and artificial intelligence that can start to detect subtle changes here. But there's something called a neuroquant MRI that sometimes will take a look at subtle changes to gray matter in the brain. And there are patterns associated with exposures to certain toxins or infections. And there's actually now a research trial on a peptide that's shown that you can restore that gray matter to the areas that were damaged of the brain. There's also some research on meditation looking at gray matter density and increasing gray matter density. And there's quite a bit of data that's beginning to come out about things like memory and executive function and other aspects of the brain that while brain aging has been the norm, that there are things that are starting to show reversal of some of that damage, reversal of some of that process, slowing of some of that process, which to me is exciting for those who may not have an overt problem with their brain, but want to keep their brain sharp and don't want to accept the norm that you're just going to start to have your memory slip as you're aging. You're just going to start to get more fatigued and brain foggy and have a harder time with coming up with the right words. I, to an extent, eventually maybe, but the not in the way that I think people talk about it currently. I think there's a lot that can be done to actually look at maximizing cognitive function, the ability for people to start to open their creativity centers in the brain, start to open their ability to begin to think about their lives differently. The old adage of neuroplasticity ends at in that 20s kind of age is, yeah. is done. Research is clear. Neuroplasticity windows can open at any age, and there are certain things that can help to do that. So I'm really yeah. interested and passionate in how can we help to, to flex the neuroplasticity plasticity to increase the, 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 the neurotrophic factors in the brain, like BDNF, which that decline is associated with Alzheimer's. How do we, how can we, reduce or prevent or slow or reverse even some of that brain aging process. And yeah, one of our other speakers is going to speak even a little bit more about uh, neuroplasticity and neuroregeneration. You know, how can we maintain that quality of life, even that 1% for optimum performance? So, you know, as well as prevention of things which can be problematic, just optimizing our health and our brain health is just I think it's a whole nother area that's going to start to unfold. It's very, very exciting. Um, Absolutely. How can people find out more about you? We have a little thing on our website about you so people can find out about your books and all. Yeah, best place to go is my clinic website is medicinewithheart.com. And I've been really, when I was thinking about starting a clinic, I really wanted to start something that that doesn't just... Um, dismiss people or, or, or to put people yeah. into categories. So, so I really, I was trying to think of a name and medicine with heart is really embodying that, that the kind of medicine that I, I, I do and that the clinic does is really uh, with care and compassion for people, but also cutting edge and looking at things like optimization, as well as these significant chronic issues like Lyme and mold. So you can find a blog on medicinewithheart.com that's got a lot of free information 
about some of these cutting edge things and a lot of articles there. And there's also a spot to book a call with staff in the clinic if you want to know about working together in the clinic and what that looks like. So that's the best place to go for a central repository of resources and information. Thank you so much, Dr. Miles Nichols. Just brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you so much, Michael. And thank you and appreciate your spreading this important message and all of these other speakers. And this summit is going to be absolutely helpful to so many people. Thank you.